You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, I want to start this morning by talking about... um, what I guess I would call the risk of sacrificing the real uh, because it doesn't meet our ideal, okay? The risk, the inherent risk in sacrificing the real because we can't meet our ideal. You and I have either uh, a conscious or an unconscious ideal for virtually every single part of our lives. Like even right now, if you kind of scan through the various components of your life, In every single one of them, you can think of some ideal of how that should go, what that should look like. And so there are a countless number of options that we could use as an example, but we're in church. So let's think about this through the lens of reading scripture, especially if you grew up in a Christian church like I did, or even if you've been a Christian for a longer stretch of time, I would bet that you have some sort of ideal for the spiritual practice of reading scripture. So for instance, I was obsessed for the longest time with reading through the entire Bible every single year. Now, that was and remains a very good ideal. It's great. There's so many benefits to either just reading cover to cover or reading chronologically or thematically through scripture. There's so many parts of scripture that we often don't spend very much time with. And so there's a bunch of value in that. It was a good ideal. But as someone who has both tried and succeeded in some years and then also tried and failed in others, I will tell you, it is not an easy thing to do. If you've ever tried it, it, it is not something that, that comes supernaturally. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of discipline. And people will say like, it only takes 15 minutes a day. Well, I'm, 15 minutes of Ezekiel is a long time, okay? <laughs> so it's not easy. So because of this, I've had many, many experiences in the past 30 years of falling off the wagon, usually somewhere around Leviticus is where it happens, and then having this long season where I really didn't read the Bible at all because I failed to meet my ideal. Now here's the problem with that. Any amount of time in scripture is always better than no time in scripture, agreed? Like even if I don't live up to my ideal, it still would have been better to read a verse than to read no verses at all. But in the past, I've had these long seasons where I sacrificed the real opportunity of hearing God speak to me through scripture, all because I couldn't meet my ideal. Now here's why I think it's worth thinking about this today. This will come as no surprise to you, ready? Life is filled with hardship. Life is filled with hardship. We are almost always experiencing hardship on some front in our lives. Sometimes that hardship might be mental or emotional in nature. Other times it is relational. Sometimes we experience hardship at work or in our finances. Sometimes we experience spiritual hardship where we struggle with overwhelming doubt or we have even long extended seasons of feeling like God isn't with us or maybe even that God isn't even real. Furthermore, we're constantly confronted with hardship in our world. Even if you are in this rare season where you, you look at all the facets of your personal life, you're like, all right, I think everything is like okay in this moment. 
there's still so much hardship going on in our world. Just think about right now. There is this conflict between Israel and Palestine. There is our sideshow of a political landscape. There is systemic racism. There is gun violence. There is gender inequality. And the list just goes on and on and on. So the point is, life is filled with hardship. And because of that hardship, we rarely, if ever, experience our ideals. And so that brings us face to face with a really important question for us to look, to look at, which is in our relationship with God, in our relationship with ourselves, in our relationship with one another, will we sacrifice the real opportunity that God puts in front of us because it doesn't live up to whatever our ideal is? And so my hope today is that we will choose to embrace the real opportunities God has placed before us rather than hold out for some ideal that there's a very high probability we don't ever experience. And for that to happen, we have to learn how to respond to the ever-present hardship that is in our lives. And so here's the big idea that we're going to see in our verses today. If you'd like to take notes, write this down. Humble dependence on God's grace is the healthiest way through hardship which sounds great, and I promise we'll get practical on what that actually looks like. Humble dependence on God's grace is the healthiest way through hardship. So today, as we're in this Dear Formation series, looking at some essential shifts that we have to continue to make as a community, today I want to talk about the shift from the ideal to the real. And so to that end, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 12. And, uh, and just for the sake of context, it's important that we understand that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, having planted this church. So this was a church that he had started. These were people that he was familiar with. And he writes this letter to address what I would call his complicated relationship with them. Now, if you don't know anything about the church at Corinth, it was a dumpster fire from like top to bottom as we read these two letters. And what happens in this situation is that Paul got this church up and out of the ground, and then he moved on to do the same thing in another city. So rather than stay in one place and pastor that church for a long season of time, Paul's pattern was to spend sometimes a year, a couple of years, getting a church up and out of the ground, getting local leadership in place, and then he would move on. He was a serial church planter. And so he did that in the church uh, in Corinth, and in the wake of his absence, after he had left, some false apostles snuck into that church, and they began to spread doubt re regarding Paul's credibility. And they sp spread a bunch of different lies about him, but the chief one was they started to spread this lie that Paul was not a spirit-filled Christian because of how much he had suffered, which I want you to just think about how messed up that is. Imagine suffering immensely in your life, all because you're trying to help other people know Jesus more, and then people begin to say, you know what, that person, you're not really a Christian because you have suffered so much. Like that had to have been like a real difficult thing for Paul to hear and to process, but that's what happened here. And so Paul writes this letter, and in many ways he's trying to address this lie and in so doing, in the verses we're going to look at today, he highlights what I'm going to frame as three reasons why hardship is actually a gift in our lives, which sounds very counterintuitive because none of us think of hardship as a gift. 
But Paul had a lens through which he experienced his life and suffering and hardship that he was able to look at it and say, I can see God's goodness in the midst of this. And so we're going to look at three reasons why hardship is a gift. And the first one is this. Number one, hardship fosters humility. Hardship fosters humility. So look with me now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul says this, boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Who caught up, who uh, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. Now, pause there for a second, because that was a weird paragraph. Uh, one of the most encouraging things about the Apostle Paul, especially in our culture of self-promotion, is that Paul went to great lengths to avoid drawing any, any unnecessary attention to himself. And so as you read through these verses, you can almost feel Paul's discomfort addressing any of this. But unfortunately, the attack on his credibility was so severe that it was necessary for him to defend the depth of his own personal relationship with God. They're saying, Paul's not a Christian. Paul doesn't really know God. And so he's in this awkward position of having to defend himself. And so Paul says, man, I didn't want to have to do this, but in order to protect you and to protect my credibility, I'm going to tell you about one of my, what he calls, visions and revelations of the Lord. Because notice again that Paul says, I know a man in Christ. Now, what's interesting is that the man that Paul's talking about is actually himself. And we know this from verse 7 when Paul switches back to the first person. So what's happening here is that Paul is so uncomfortable talking about his own experience that he does so as if it happened to someone else. And in describing his experience, Paul says that he was caught up into the third heaven, where he heard inexpressible words, which a human being is not allowed to speak. Now, when Paul refers to the third heaven, understand he's not saying that there are multiple heavens, which some faiths do believe in like various levels of heaven or various degrees of the afterlife. And that is not what Paul's saying here. All he's doing is using this very simple and common way that Jesus spoke, or that Jews, the early Jews spoke, about the distinction between uh, the sky, where birds fly, and then space, where the stars and the sun and the moon dwell, and then this third unseen realm where God dwells. And so when Paul talks about the third heaven, what he's really talking about is being in the very presence of God. Now, we might think that seeing what Paul saw would create in him an elevated sense of his own importance. I mean, not everyone has an experience like, like my guess is you've never been caught up into the third heaven. I've never been caught up to the third heaven. So it would be easy to think that someone could have this kind of experience and then have a real elevated view of their own spirituality. I know people who have experienced way less than this and have a very elevated view of their own spirituality. And so it would be easy to think that could have happened to Paul. But God, as we see from Paul's words, was determined not to let that happen. And instead, to help Paul remain in a posture of humility. Look at verse 6. 
Paul says, for if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, listen to this part, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Now, the Greek word that we translate into English here as thorn is actually only used in this one place in the entire New Testament. But it indicates something that is pointed, such as a stake for impaling or a medical instrument, or as Paul says here, a thorn. Now, Paul does not say specifically what the thorn was. And despite that, scholars have spilled so much ink for the last 2,000 years, making guesses at what that thorn was. Some think it was something mental, others something emotional, some people think it was some sort of physical deficiency. And I, I would argue, I mean, I could care less what you think it is, it doesn't really matter because no one knows, but I think probably because of Paul's reference to the flesh, it was most likely some sort of physical issue. Could have been a chronic illness in his life, it could have been some sort of physical pain or handicap. But what we need to see is this, that clearly the purpose of this thorn, why it existed in Paul's life, was far more important than the nature of it because that's what Paul tells us about. And this thorn that he lived with, whatever this hardship was, served a dual purpose. And the first, he says, was to keep him from becoming conceited due to what he had experienced and seen. And I, I think this is really, really significant because I gotta tell you, if this week I had been caught up into the manifest presence of God, I would be telling everyone about it. Every single person. I don't even know if Tammy remembers this, but years ago when we were living in Chicago, we were downtown one day and we were in a barn, Barnes and Noble and Rachel Ray, the Food Network star, was signing her cookbooks. And when she was done with that, she was just like browsing around Barnes and Noble. And so Tammy and I are creeping around bookshelves following Rachel Ray all over this store. Now, now here's the thing, um, I didn't and I don't care at all about Rachel Ray. I could care, I don't know what she's doing now, I think she had a show, I don't care at all. But guess what I did for like a week after this? I told everyone who would listen to me that I had seen Rachel Ray at Barnes and Noble. I bragged about seeing a Food Network star that I don't care about. Now Paul had seen a side of God that could have resulted in spiritual pride. And so one purpose for this thorn in his flesh was to keep that from happening. And so here's an important qualifier in this. Paul doesn't just explain the purpose of his thorn, he also tells us its source. This thorn, he said, was a messenger of Satan that God allowed for his own purpose. And so notice in this that it was Satan who caused it, but God did allow it and then use it for his own purpose. And so if we think about other examples of scripture, my mind immediately goes to the story of Job's experience where God allowed Satan to test Job's faith. So Satan had his own intentions. And in Job's case, it was to cause Job to renounce his love for God. And in Paul's case, Satan intended this to be a hindrance to his ministry. But the good news is that God had another plan. But it is possible, and I think it's important to acknowledge this, it's possible to hear this and to judge God as being harsh or unloving. 
Like, why wouldn't God just not let this happen? Paul spent his whole life singularly invested in trying to expand the kingdom of God on this earth. Why would God allow this to happen? But the truth is, if we really look closely, we can see God's good and gracious hand in the midst of it. God has a purpose in all of our pain. It is never pointless. There is no suffering and there is no hardship in your life that God is not sovereign over. So God does allow trial. God does allow hardship. And God does allow weakness. And one of his purposes in that is always our humility. And because we are told over and over again in the scriptures that God opposes the proud, this is one of the most loving gifts that he can give us. Anything that he would allow for our humility is, is, is for our good. Because pride poisons the soul. And pride poisons our relationships with one another. It is purely destructive. And so even if it requires pain for it to happen, humility, anything that cultivates humility in our hearts, is a good and gracious gift from God. So three reasons that hardship is a gift. Number one is that hardship fosters humility. Here's the second. Hardship invites dependence. Hardship invites dependence. Look at verse 8. Paul says, concerning this, so he's talking about his thorn, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Now, here's something worth noting. Despite God's purpose in his thorn, Paul's hardship was so painful that on three focused, extended occasions, he begged God to take this away. So even if in real time, Paul knew, like, I know that God's using this for my humility, but I got to say it sucks. And so he begs God to take this away. He knows that he is dependent on God for relief, and we know that he knows that because he prayed. And petition is inherently dependent. That's why we pray. In the act of prayer, we are acknowledging, God, there is something only you can do. And so he is practicing dependence here. And for most of us, dependence on anyone or anything other than ourselves is very, very hard. So Tammy and I are doing a lot of longer-term financial planning right now, and it's been really stressful because it's not an area of expertise for either of us. And so as a result, we started working with a financial planner <clears throat> with a company that handles our retirement plan. And I'll be honest with you, my ignorance in this area is embarrassing. Like there was a point at which he asked us a question, we were on a Zoom with him, and I literally responded going, I mean, if this was your money, what would you do? Because <laughs> like this guy has totally different goals than us, totally different job, different family makeup. And I was just like, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Is, I mean, just pretend it's your, it could be your money. If this makes this call go away, you can have it. <laughs> and so I have been tempted at multiple points to pretend that I understand things that I just absolutely don't. And it often makes me feel very insecure to have to depend on someone else in a situation like this, which is what happens to us oftentimes when we have to depend on another person. We, we begin to feel like we are not safe, that we are not secure because we are by definition not in control. And the problem is if we allow that same type of insecurity to rule in our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with him will always be stunted because we have been designed by God to be dependent upon him. And when we resist that, it stunts our relationship with him. 
And so I know that we all know this, but there are hardships that exist in our lives that we are simply unable to overcome on our own. Some of us are facing things right now that you look at and the reason you feel stressed and overwhelmed right now is you are looking at a problem that you know you can't solve. And Jesus not only intends that for our humility, but also to teach us to depend on him. God uses the deficiency of our own strength to drive us to dependence on him. See, the real secret is we are not vulnerable when we are weak. We are vulnerable when we feel strong. We were made to depend on God. So I want you to think about something right now that is going on in your life that is simply outside of your your control or too much for you to handle. That probably won't take too long. Just identify even one thing. And here's the question. Will you continue to attempt to control or will you choose to depend on Jesus in whatever that area is? Three reasons that hardship is a gift. Number one, it fosters humility. Number two, it invites dependence. And then thirdly, hardship platforms Jesus' power. Hardship platforms Jesus' power. Let's finish up. Look at verse nine. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on, he says, therefore I will most gladly boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take, this is like one of the most staggering sentences if you really think about this. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so notice the promise of Jesus in verse nine. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. So what that means is that Paul experienced a unique expression of the power of Jesus because of this weakness. That was the source through which it came. Paul's pain became the very place that he experienced Christ's power. And I can't speak for anybody else in the room, but I can promise you this has certainly been my experience. Just this week, I was talking with a friend on the phone that I haven't spoken with really in any extended sort of way in a very, very long time. And, and I was explaining to this person that, that prior to all of this painful work that I've had to do personally over the last four years, I really don't think I had like a real relationship with God. I mean, I came to faith when I was like six, seven years old. I've been in the church the entirety of my life. But really, until the last four years of having to go on this healing journey with God, I don't think I had a real relationship with him. I prayed, I've always read the Bible, I served him, but I had a very surface relationship with him. And that began to change when I chose to face my pain with him. And so as much as we might hate it, personal pain is the path to experiencing the true presence and the true power of God in our lives. When we feel weak, we think this is so awful. I don't like this. I want to be strong. I want this to be over. But Jesus looks at it and he says, this is right where they need to be. And he's with us. He doesn't say that in some sort of calloused way where he enjoys our suffering. But he just knows what is being cultivated in the midst of it. 
And so rather than bury his weakness, the way that many of us are prone to do, or to bury his hardship and pain, Paul chose to boast in it. Because he understood that humble dependence on God's grace was the healthiest way through hardship. So you might be sitting here thinking, okay, well, how? I think anytime we talk about depending on God, I think that sounds very spiritual. There's something about it that often resonates with us. But when it comes to the practicality of like, well, what does that actually look like? Does it just like passive, do nothing? But what does it actually look like to humbly depend on God? And I was reworking through these verses this week and it struck me like I think Paul models the simplest expression of what it looks like to practice humble dependence on God right here in these verses. Because notice these four things that he does. First, we have to acknowledge our hardship. Paul does that. He's like, I, had this, I have this thorn. He doesn't pretend that it's not there. He acknowledges it. So if we're going to actively depend on God, we, we, we have to acknowledge our hardship. We can't ignore it. We can't just suppress it. We have to acknowledge, honestly, its presence in our life. Now, secondly, we talk to God about it. Paul's response to his thorn was to pray. He acknowledges it to God, and then he asks God for his help. And I think this can look like and should look like a lot more than just petition where we're asking God, take this away, take this away, take this away. As we read the Psalms, we learn that God's shoulders are big enough to bear the weight of our full experience of difficulty. So really talk to him about it. Talk to him about what it is, how it feels, how its presence makes you feel about him. All of that is how we cultivate deeper and deeper relationship with God in the midst of this. So acknowledge our hardship, talk to God about it, and then third, listen to God. Because as Paul spoke to God, he also heard back from Jesus, and God wants to speak into our pain. He will use his word first and foremost, but he will also use others. In fact, he will use any number of means to speak to us. The question is always, are we listening? And then lastly, notice how Paul models for us processing that hardship with other people. If you think about it, these verses are Paul inviting other people into his experience. And so it's, it was a different day. He was not in the room with them like this. But even just through a letter, he, he processes his spiritual experience with others. And that's the primary purpose of our new community groups, is to provide an environment, a safe environment, where with time and trust, we can begin to process our experience of faith with a few other people. Because that's what we see modeled right here from the Apostle Paul. Humble dependence on God, on his grace, is the healthiest way through hardship. And so as we practice this dependence by acknowledging our hardship, talking to God about it, listening to him, and processing our experience with others, we are actively practicing that dependence. And so here's what I want to leave you with. One of the most encouraging and comforting truths for me personally about God is that he doesn't need everything to be ideal in order to work deeply in me and through me. And that's really, really great news. In fact, the last time, if you think about it, the last time that anything was ideal was in Eden, and it took about two seconds for humanity to ruin that. And the next time everything will be ideal is in eternity. 
which means we are being invited to release our need for the ideal and to instead embrace every real opportunity that God places in front of us by learning to humbly depend on his grace. So let's pray and let's ask that God would continue to not only work through our hardship, but to teach us to depend on him in the midst of it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that there has never been a difficult, painful experience in our lives that was pointless. Instead, you, you promise that you use every difficult thing for our long-term good. You are, by your character, a redeemer. And so you redeem even evil situations. You have the power to redeem them for good. And there is just simply no way for us to deny that our lives are marked by hardship. And Lord, we ask you for relief from those. We ask that you would take us out of the difficulty in our lives. And, and if you choose not to, because you are working some other way or have some other plan, we thank you that you promise to be with us in the midst of it. And we thank you that it is not without purpose in our lives. And so Lord, we, we pray that you would use all things in our lives to cultivate humility, to teach us to depend on you and to display your power in us and through us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.